escapingthecave.com. Also on Facebook and at ETC Pod on Twitter. Escaping the cave. And I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. Zilla X-Pod. Tonzilla X-Pod. Howdy, Tonzilla Files, and welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave, the Tonzilla X-Pod on the ChristopherMedia.net network. Also on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and uh, Stitcher. And iHeartRadio, one of these days, that's what they say. Rare, rare, hasn't happened yet. Thanks for clicking in. Got the third of three episodes taken from a conversation I had with Chris from ChristopherMedia.net. Also Rich, those two guys co-host with another dude. The Unregimented Podcast, my old podcast over there on the network. Make sure you go check it out. And going to get some interesting things today. It's a quick podcast. But it also ties into a lot of the things that I've already covered on the podcast and other things that I will get back into as time goes on, including uh, things like the bastardization of language for propaganda purposes like euphemisms. How it's literally public relations. Propaganda and public relations are literally the same thing. Proper use of the term. I'll get to that. We'll get to that right off the bat. I'm going to talk about partisanship and uh, institutional rot, cultural rot, stuff like that. Uh, also... Pick your authoritarian wisely. That part of the conversation is really good today. And uh, we'll also talk about utopia and chains. Dragging people into utopia unwillingly. It's quick, it's intense, and it's also pretty good. Hope you enjoy it. But if you go carrying pictures of Chairman Mao, you ain't gonna make it with anyone anyhow. You will respect my authority. Someone's ever like, hey, I want to try heroin. You show them Requiem for a Dream, you back it up with train spotting. And then go, any questions? <laughs> There's the double feature right there. Oh, I've enjoyed this, boys. It's good to hear some other voices other Dude, than my own. It's, it's nice to have a free-flowing conversation. <sighs> All right, we're rolling again. <laughs> I don't know where to go. <laughs> I thought you had an idea for one last segment here. I was like... Oh, no, well, this has got to put a bow, I guess, on this. I mean, our, our show is always take out a life of their own anyway. So I think I really wanted to, I, I think, drive the point home that the disinformation, the propaganda stuff, I mean, I'm going to continue probably this week trying to get into more of the specifics of how this works. You know, one of the signature traits is that people don't know. They have no idea. Like if you were to ask them where they get their ideas and their beliefs from, they always think, people always think that their ideas are their own. And don't realize that they're being sort of guided into these opinions and these beliefs. And therefore, you can't change any minds. I'm really leery about putting forth (laughs) the propaganda stuff because people won't see it in themselves. They'll see it in everybody else, but they'll never be able to see it in themselves. So what does it, what good does it do to point it out? At a certain point, all you can really do is, I mean, it's once again, it's a a cliched saying, but all you can do is lead the horse to the water, man. Yeah. If it drinks or not, you know what I'm saying? That's that's not on you. There is a glaring hole in all media for people to be truth tellers and to wake people up. And I don't mean wake them up as in like red, red pill them or, you know, the sheeple Alex Jones type way that he tries to quote unquote wake people up. I'm talking just for people to point out like you, you need to understand what you're watching, understand how to watch it, how to spot the bullshit. The way language is used has been perfected by propagandists these days. Case in point, when the Democrats were pushing for gay marriage, gay marriage wasn't getting the job done, that phrase. So they kind of flipped it. Okay, it's marriage equality. Well, who can't get behind marriage equality? Everyone wants right. everyone to be equal, right? Right. That's a form of propaganda. Now, is that necessarily bad propaganda? Propaganda in and of itself doesn't have a moral compass. It just exists. Yeah, it just is. And mm-hmm. yeah, people associate negative connotations with the word. You still need to be able to spot it and understand it. One of the things that really irritates me about how language has been twisted these days in 2019 is how divisive language is that's supposed to be diverse. Meaning, well, people of color 
what are you saying when you actually say that? You're saying everybody but white people. That's a divisive statement from a group of people who claim to want to bring us all together. And they do it constantly. When you can spot that, it's a lot easier to go, okay, this person's full of shit. Yeah. But it's amazing how many people don't don't think that deeply about it. They just go, oh, oh, okay. Well, or they take it. it literally, and they're like, "What? We're clear. We're transparent." That's one of the yeah. one of the the, the tenets of uh, Orwell. I mentioned one of my podcasts. I know you guys have heard it, but he, he I didn't realize that he worked as a government propagandist <laughs> for the BBC uh, during World War II. He was writing, and uh, I think he was airing. Uh, sort of the voice behind some of the counter propaganda in Southeast Asia and in Europe, you know, they would they would take like uh, they had this huge operation. They had all these people, uh, the uh, Allies did, who would listen to all of the German and Japanese and Italian propaganda. They would listen to it. They would transcribe it, put it on paper, and then they would pass it around. So they knew exactly what was being put out by the enemy, right? And they would sit down. And they would craft their propaganda, the counter-propaganda, according to what was put forth by the enemy, right? And Orwell worked in that uh, field. And he, he had to put his stuff through the censors. He understood how things had to be framed. He understood, you know, framing of what to say, what not to say, and all that. And that's where he got the idea for 1984 and Newspeak and creating these, uh, their euphemisms. Like these new words and these new phrases that dull and take the edge off of what the thing really is. Like a woman's right to choose is not destroying a fetus. It takes the edge off. It reframes it and puts it somewhere else. And that's a, a primary tenet of uh, every propaganda campaign. Basically redefining language, redefining meaning of words. Another thing that I was thinking about when you were talking a minute ago is that propaganda the word has a stigma to it, and it's had a stigma to it since World War I when the Germans were actually calling their information propaganda. So the Allies were calling German disinformation propaganda. And this guy, Edward Bernays, decided that, you know what, we need another word for this <laughs> because everybody's going to know what it is if we call it propaganda. It was actually used up until that point. And he came up with this phrase, public relations. Ah, okay. I was waiting to see what, what interesting, how, how, yeah, how they prettied it up. How many people do you know of who work in public relations? I've met a few. A couple. Yeah. And they are literally, and this is the absolute proper use of the term literally, they are literally <laughs> propagandists. It's, and you're right, not all propaganda is bad. But it's the formation of opinions. It's changing. It's manufacturing opinions. You've heard that book, uh, Manufacturing Consent, by uh, Noam Chomsky, right? Oh, Chomsky? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He took that phrase from Edward Bernays, who defined public relations slash propaganda as manufacturing opinion. He just changed one word in it. It was a, sort of a nod to the propaganda campaign, the propaganda masters of the PR uh, founders back in, the, I guess, the 20s. And that's exactly what it is. It's manufacturing your opinion for you, putting, putting forth a campaign to formulate your opinions. And we are awash in it now. I don't know. Honestly, I, I don't know how many people could tell the difference between a factual statement and a piece of propaganda if they saw it in front of them. I, in fact, One I, to two. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that's what happened to me last week. I saw a piece of, an, of disinformation, and I interpreted that as fact, as something real. You know, it ties into Neil Postman and a lot of other people who have talked about like different inventions and different technological progressions over the last few hundred years, where first with the printing press, then with the telegraph, then with the radio, and then with television, now with the internet, where people are bombarded with more information than they're used to, more information than they can handle, more information than they can possibly sift through and sort out. And the internet, social media, has taken that and blown it into the heliosphere. You knew if on a long enough timeline, I was going to have to put on my tinfoil uh, three-piece suit here. I got to kind of wonder if that's on purpose because it, it feels like when, case in point, like if you, you know, a lawyer requests at discovery, hey, we want to know what the prosecution has. The prosecution dumps them and buries them in paperwork. And the one thing they're looking for is now basically a needle in a haystack. So they have to have five people going through this paperwork line by line, reading the book, you know, trying to read between the bullshit to get the one piece of information that they're looking for. Yeah. And I, I, 
I, I wonder if it's it's the equivalent of that's what they do with this this information shotgun that they you know that that is put out these days by the news, by the government, by corporations, by I mean it's not limited to any one entity. I mean everybody does it. Yeah. Religions, the Catholic Church, whatever the however you know name a a group that's in power and they do it. If they just bury the truth in an avalanche of bullshit, and so it just gets people to just go, fuck it, and shrug and go, I give up, man. Congress. Exactly. Shoving writers into 2,500-page bills, burying a piece of unsavory legislation in the middle of something so nobody sees it. Same I mean, that was one of the things, when I was in school and we were reading about the Kennedy assassination, when they were like, you know, yeah, the Warren Commission is 27 volumes. I went, that's a set of encyclopedias. Really? Have you ever seen the 9-11 report? It's one fucking book. Now, granted, it's like 1,200 pages, but it's like, it made me wonder. It's like, uh, were we smarter back then? So they buried us in bullshit, the, uh, 27 volumes worth of it, versus now they know that no one's going to read that 9-11 report hardly at all, so they can just bury it in 1,200 pages of bullshit. You know, no one's, and then forgive me, I know we'll take off my tinfoil three-piece suit. Sorry. Uh, you, it's not a conspiracy. That is. It doesn't sound <laughs> far-fetched. No, it's not. It's, it's, it's literally, I've read this. I have read this in the Jacques Ellul book, Propaganda. And it's also repeated in his Technological Society book. You flood people with data. You flood people with information, disinformation, so they do not know what's true and what isn't because they can't sort through it. Or if it's creatively done, they don't know what to believe, so they just check the fuck out. They become non-human beings at that point. If you're out of the political process and you've given up, you are a non-entity. You're not to be worried about. You don't count anymore. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, you've said it on your podcast. You'd rather an idiot not have an opinion than to hold to a strong opinion. I'm paraphrasing. I can't remember exactly how you put it, but... The man who knows nothing is closer to the truth than the man who believes a falsehood. There we go. Jefferson. And, you know, and I kind of feel like, you know, by the way, I was one of those assholes you rallied against a couple podcasts, a couple shows ago that did, you know, the whole protest vote thing in 2016. And I've taken my lumps for it, but it's like, you know what? It's a valid point. Like, what the fuck did I accomplish? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You might as well have stayed home. I, I, what I might as well have done is uh, folded myself in half and huffed my own fart. At home. Because that's essentially what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At home, yeah. That's yeah. essentially what I, was, what I was doing. So, you know, I, you know that's, that's one thing that, and, you know, that's something that Aaron has hammered away at on, on, on Regimented, and it's something I've come to agree with him with, and it's, he's actually changed my mind with, you know, a lot of what he said. Then I listened to you, and you put it a lot more. I was like, I'm feeling personally attacked by this relatable content. (laughs) (laughs) No, I wasn't thinking of you. There's a couple other people I was thinking of. I wasn't. I I don't think I remember that you had you voted for Stein. Well, to be honest with you, I went to go vote, and they wouldn't take my vote because they had me at a different polling place. Okay. So uh, yes, I was going to vote for Stein. At that point, in my mind, I couldn't vote for Trump or Hillary. Basically, I'd have wrote in fucking Garfield if I didn't have anybody else but those two. Right. Because it was just, it was it was literally me throwing a temper tantrum going, this is bullshit. This is the two best people we have. Get the fuck out of my face with this nonsense. Right. Like, I could literally walk down the street for an hour and pick two people that would probably be better to run the country than this moron and this career politician. You know, and like I said, I'm putting it out there now. I got to take my lunch. Fair is fair. We probably were in direct agreement at about that point in time, as far as that goes. But I would pay a lot of money to have that career politician right now. Sometimes as fucked up as the status quo can be is a lot better than the the alternative. The status quo is boring. It moves slowly, like a snail, but it's predictable. It doesn't throw everything into chaos. That's what. That's a lot of, I think, what, what people, people have problems with the slow-moving nature of change. Right, and it's not going quickly enough for them. And I think this comes back to Dostoevsky. You know, when people are bored, when people are fat and compl- not really complacent, but things are not exciting. They crit- contrive things a lot. Of, this is Stephen Pinker too. A lot of people contrive things that they'll convince themselves 
are terrible. Just to have a reason to live and something to fight for. A, a, a reason to struggle. I said the last couple of years, time for another war, but a real war. Something to remind us that we're doing exactly what you're saying, that we're, we're alive. We, we need something. We need a struggle. You talked yeah. about it in one of your podcasts. Yeah. You know, we're creating struggles where there are none because the, let's be honest, pretty, if you're born in this country, what's the thing you're born on third base, right? Not just as a man, <laughs> not just being a white man. You're, 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 most of us are born on third base. Go take a trip somewhere. I can take you to El Salvador. I know a nice beach there. Let's go walk around know, for a while. It's like with all of this stuff and all the, the sky is falling, all this stuff that's been going on with Trump. I refuse to buy into it because my whole line on it has been as soon as my personal autonomy is threatened, you know, I'll be worried. But none of I, I don't see any of that shit coming. Well, there is there is I don't I don't want to go into politics too much here. Uh, we can do that some other time. But there is a problem when the checks and balances break down, when you have basically two and a half branches of government that are working in concert with someone who has no appreciation for the rule of law and norms. That is a problem. And there's no two ways of looking at that. I don't know where that's going to go. I don't know what the effects are going to be. I have ideas. <laughs> some are more dire than others some days. Uh, but it's that's sort of the checking out thing. It's like, well, you hear all this stuff. You, you hear people cry wolf so many times. All right, let's just see what happens. Pretty it's much. The, the stuff, I'll admit it. But, but the stuff, it, it still matters. Because, again, I don't want to go too far down this road, I promise. But just to imagine a scenario now in 2020 where, I don't know, Joe Biden decides he's going to win the presidency or we decide we want Joe Biden. How is anything going to work? Do you think what's happened over the last four years prior to that isn't going to come back in spades? Do you suppose that Benghazi isn't coming back or, or something contrived? Jesus Christ, her emails has never went away. Exactly. There's still people beating that, that, that fucking Dustin Bones horse. And that was before the last four years. All, a lot of these people think the Mueller report was, is, is just a soft coup. How are they going to react now for the next term, even if they lose? I, I know I sound like I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth here. Probably right, but while I don't have faith in the system, I have faith in how it's set up if that makes any sense. That's what's being torn down is how it's set up because there's no checks and balances now. You don't have an independent uh, judicial branch. When the attorney general is Don Corleone's lawyer, that's what's being destroyed. That's the problem because partisanship both in the populace and in, in, in government itself is so adversarial that you cannot have a, a system of checks and balances. That's what Justin Amash has been harping on is that it, it's not just Trump, it's the damage to the institutions, the faith in the institutions. Is it so much Trump tearing them down, or are they tearing themselves down with, like what you're talking about, being so adversarial with, it's just about winning, it's not about bipartisanship anymore, getting anything done, it's my side won. I don't know. I, I don't know. If I were to sit here and think about this a lot, and go back into the earlier podcasts in this, this edition of my podcast, when I'm talking about the politics, and I'm talking about the winner is here stuff, it's terrifying. In all honesty, it doesn't matter if it's Trump. It doesn't matter if it's the Democrats. It doesn't matter if it's Trump, the Democrats, or the Republicans combined. The effect is the same. I mean, it's almost an exercise in masturbation to try to figure out where to put the blame. The effect is that the system doesn't work anymore. When a free people, I've said this before, when a free people lose the faith, when they lose the faith... No, it's about distinguishing the truth. No, it's, it's, it's when they lose the faith of the governed. Right when the, the institutions lose the faith of the governed, and those people are not oppressed, and those people aren't cracked down upon, they revoke consent to be governed at some point. There's only two ways that can go. Only two. One is revolution, civil war, fighting to fill the void, which leads to one camp either being obliterated or an authoritarian state where they're suppressed. Or the other alternative is the state enforcing trust in it. Authoritarianism. Either way you look at it, you don't have the faith of the governed. Authoritarianism is coming because peace will be enforced if it's not given uh, voluntarily. It's not real hard to see why that is. Unless you like want to live in a state of chaos and a warlord state, anarchy, 
And I see the latter, not the anarchy, but before that, the latter more plausible than revolution. Because I you know I've said it before, and I'm sure you guys have said it before. I, I think we're too lazy to revolt at this point in our society. We're too comfortable. It doesn't matter. Either way, you like being free? Do you like not being able to you know, have the podcast shut down because we're talking about controversial ideas? Stuff like that? I mean, where do you think it's going to yeah. go? It doesn't matter who's to blame. It doesn't matter which road, really, at some point. It doesn't matter. It's going to end the same in an authoritarian state. Just who's in charge will be the, the, exactly. the variable. Exactly. Who cares? Well, being a white guy, if i got to choose an authoritarian, well, I'm going to choose the Republicans. They like me. I'm not going to choose the authoritarian that hates me. Would you? No, I've, I've made that point, too. You want to be a Jew in Hitler's Germany? I think you made it on your, your the point you made it on the, the run you did with Unregimented. Why would I want to be a part of a side that wants nothing to do with me? Yeah, that's why when, when you hear people talk about, oh, these Trump voters always voting against their own interests, that's ridiculous. It's asinine. No, they're not. They have other interests that maybe supersede economic interests. Maybe they see something you don't. Maybe they see the disinformation propaganda, however you want to look at it. Maybe they see through it better than you do, and they see it for what it is. The same way you can see the Hannity crap for what it is, and they can't. And maybe they've determined that that maybe is a little bit more important to them. I would. See, that's the, that's the scariest part about all this, that I don't know how far away we are from getting to the point where it's going to be one party is completely for work, white working class people and the other party is for everyone else. Because I know there's people that want to frame it that way. And I know that there are people, I, I cannot remember his name. He was on Bill Maher this week. He was the first interview guest. Bill Maher asked him about identity politics. And if you ever watch Bill Maher, you know that he's not too, Bill Maher is not too keen on the woke crowd and the identity politics crowd. God bless him. Which, good, good, yes, good on him. And I cannot remember the guy's name. He's one of the 23 running for president. But he said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm of Asian descent. Oh, yeah. I could play that game. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. He's like, I could play that game if I wanted to, but it's a divisive game and it's not a game that we can win. And I mean, I, I know that I've I kind of poo pooed on Jordan Peterson, but Jordan Peterson brought up a very good point. And I think his first or second appearance on Joe Rogan. So we're going back three, four years now. This is when identity politics was first starting to come over the horizon in full force. Jordan Peterson said, the left does not want to open that fucking Pandora's box. No. Because if there's one thing history has taught us, people of Caucasian European descent play that game very well when backed into a corner. And do we really want that situation here in the United States in the 21st century? I know I don't. And I don't understand how for all these people who are on the left who Oh, well, I'll, you know, I'm a Marxist, I'm a Marxist-Leninist, whatever the fuck, whatever, however they label themselves. How is it turned into one race versus other, you know, every, every other race, one sexual orientation versus every other sexual orientation? How is it not turned into the haves versus the have-nots? Is it because you're getting a perverted version of this doctrine that you're being, you know, taught? Wait a minute, you mean like uh, con condemning the bourgeois? Exactly. If they if they want to pattern themselves so much after revolutionary era Russia, yeah. where's that at? Rahm Emanuel. Did you miss that? These, uh, I guess I did. There are elements that are trying. Rahm Emanuel came out and made a statement or some speech a couple weeks ago, I think it was. He's like, yes, the economic elites must now be held accountable, which is basically Stalinist, anti-bourgeois demonization of the moneyed class. So well, it, that, there, there are elements of it there. I, I, yeah. And these people, history books, history well, books. Show me know. one time in history where it's worked out. I'll get on board. What? Socialism? You know the standard retort. The, the only way you know that the you retort can. <laughs> has never been done the right way. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> it can't be. Any kind of, oh, Jesus Christ, we're going to do it, aren't we? I mean, it, it always, <laughs> whenever you're trying to create a utopia, this is really basic shit. And again, this is directly from Dostoevsky. Notes from the underground. There is no such thing as utopia. Okay, there's no such thing at all. And socialism, especially communism, is based on utopian thinking. And there can't be a utopia because there's always going to be people that don't want to go along. They don't want to go to your little fucking bubble world. 
They just don't. And even if you could create it, and you can't, it goes back to what we were talking about a little while ago, that people will always reject it. They'll want the struggle. They want to fight. They want to feel alive and invigorated. It's like the Matrix. Agent Smith's like, yeah, we created a world where everything's perfect. You rejected it. There was a commentary on that. Because it doesn't work. People will always reject it. And if you insist on creating it anyway, you've got to put people in chains to drag them into the bubble city. It's simple. It's impossible. It will never fucking happen. There is no right way. It hasn't been done the right way because there is no right way. We've already seen where it goes. And Castro landed in Cuba with 20 people, sold the peasantry on the idea of a fucking Cuban utopia. How's that worked out? Was that not done the right way? I mean, he had Stalin's example. He could have corrected it, right? Maybe there isn't one. Because you always have got to put the dissenters in chains. You've always got to put the dissenters in chains, and you've always got to maintain the attitude. You've always got to maintain and create the opinion and the illusion of conformity, of collectivism. Everybody's got to be pulling in the same direction, even if they have to be put in chains to do it. And that is the absolute most terrifying thought whenever these types of discussions comes up, because I've heard people I thought were very rational, logical people go, and exactly that's what it takes, so be it. Okay, well, then you and I are mortal enemies. Sorry. I I just, I'm never going to consent to that. This is very basic, fundamental American shit here. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, being the the master of your own destiny, able able to guide your own life as you see fit. That is fundamental, primal Americanism. So, if you think you're going to put me well, in chains, bitch, walk up. That's another thing I can never understand. When, you know, well, we're fighting for the minorities. There's no greater minority than the individual. So why don't you fight for that? Oh, that's right. Because you can't pound your chest and say, "Look at me. Look at look at everything I'm doing. Pat me on the back. Give me my gold star for the day." Speaking of gold I, stars, I, you know what the protected class was in uh, Stalinist Russia? No, actually, I don't know. I think about it. Jews. You mentioned gold stars, but that that was it. There was there's always yeah yeah no I I I got the connection. <laughs> I should have I should have went Jews gold stars. Uh... No, it just reminded me of that. But it, there's always a protected class that you can use to prop up for the evil demonized um, demon class in Soviet Russia. They didn't have a minority problem, you know, like blacks, whites, browns, and all that in Russia. It was pretty much all white people in Russia, right? So they didn't have that. They didn't. They couldn't demonize the white male in Russia, so they demonized the bourgeois, the, the moneyed class. Under the guise, a lot of times, of protecting the oppressed Jewish minority. Well, you know, I asked a former co-worker who, she is death on Christianity, Catholicism, basically any, you know, any type of, of religion that, that would be considered part of the majority of the religion that subscribe to in this country, but yet she'll defend Islam to her last breath. And I say, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're a feminist, you're progressive, you're this and that, you're pro-choice, you're pansexual, you're for trans rights, and yet you're sitting here defending Islam with your last breath. Do you think you would fare well in a, in a country that is run by Islamic religious extremists? Tried going to Saudi Arabia and having a vagina? Try going there and preaching that pansexual 76 gender shit. Yeah. And you know what her response was? They're the underdog. I have to fight for them. And I said, like a country to. where most of the world's wealth is concentrated in is the underdog. I'm like, you don't have to fight for any. If you think religion is nonsense because it controls people, and then you go and you look at Islam and go, well, I, but they get a pass because they're the minority in this country. They're the underdog. I'm like, good fucking luck. I, I that, that doesn't even make sense to me. That's where you roll, I don't even know how. Roll your eyes and you got to back away slowly. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't turn your back don't on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like a pit bull that, it, it's like a pit bull who's eyeballing you, but you don't know if it's friendly or not. And you're just exactly. like, I just want to get out of the room. I don't want to find out. Yeah. So I, I guess maybe. 
you guys tell me if, you, if, if I'm being oversimplistic here, but the goal really is to just tear it all down and rebuild it in their own image, their own fantastical imagined on paper image, right? Once again, that's where I say take something away, remove something. You have to replace it with something else. Right. It's funny. I don't hear equality. I hear, you know, Matriarch. the future is female. Yeah. Now it's time for Now it's time for the, you know, and it's like, look, so fine, I, whatever. But are you serious? It's like, it's like I asked fellow co-host of ours on Sporgy. Do you really think that voting for Trump, it, it, it's going to start a, the civil war part two? I said, and if it does, if a revolution does start, do you think that do you vision yourself at the end, standing on a pile of your dead enemies, you know, one foot on, on you know, like someone's skull and the American flag in one hand and MP5 in the other. And you're like, I did it. I won. I'm like, you really think that's how it's going to work out? Because that's fantasy. That's movie shit. That's not reality. Reality is you don't want to fucking see what a revolution would look like in this country. We don't want to get to the point where people are going, you know what? I don't care if I live or I die. We got to fucking get these people out of power at all fucking cost. And then the people rise up against them who will defend the people in power. And he, his answer was, I don't care. To me, it's just as dumb as saying, uh, I, I don't like religion, Christianity, and, 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 and the Jesus religions. But I'm going to defend Islam because they're the minority, huh? The only thing, yeah. the only way that answer makes any sense is Dostoevsky, that you are so fucking bored and complacent, intellectually complacent, and do not have anything to struggle for. That the idea of warfare, civil warfare, to excite your senses and make you feel alive sounds a good, like a good fucking idea. It's the only thing that explains that because you have no concept. You've never read a history book. Or watch television. I'm, I remember Nicaragua and El Salvador, Guatemala back in the 80s. I remember that. Death squads. Right-wing death squads wiping out entire fucking villages. Yeah. You know, I've read about Cuba. That wasn't exactly a, a picnic. A picnic. Kosovo. Revolutions are really ugly things, man. Especially these days with... I mean, I mentioned in one of the other podcasts that Thinking back to our own revolution, the, the British were attacking Norfolk, Virginia, bombing it from the river, right? Cannons. The revolutionaries went into Norfolk and did exponentially more damage to their own city because they were attacking people who were loyalists. They destroyed something like 800 structures in Norfolk. The patriots did, as opposed to maybe 50 that were destroyed by the English ship lobbing cannonballs in from the river. Think about that. You talk about the ape, and you talk about releasing the id. You have a segment of the population, these mutually exclusive segments of the population that have each demonized each other and see it as traitorous and evil. How does that go? Do you think this is going to be a clean conflict? Uh, no. And I just, I, I think back to all the combat vets, especially the Vietnam World War II guys, and they said, anybody who's been near a real war and been in it, they don't glorify it. And they don't, they pray that, they, that it never comes to that type of shit again. I mean, because I, I, I try to, I try to explain to people, I'm like, you don't understand. You live in the time when World War II has been settled before you were even a fucking thought. Think about the fucking upheaval that was going on around this globe when no one knew who was going to fucking win World War II. I mean, the president of the United States on D-Day prepared two speeches, one if it was successful, one if it wasn't. Think about that. And we get people who get anxiety when they have to go out of their house and go order at McDonald's. This is going to be great. And these people think that, these people think that they're going to fucking lead some sort of revolution. This is the thing that, that gives me, that keeps me sane, Rich is thinking about the bubble creatures that don't want the small of their back touched while they're at work. <laughs> Think of those people thrown into some sort of actual real social chaos. Upheaval. Where they have to actually look at one of these militia groups in the eye after they've been stockpiling guns for 20 years. This gives me a great deal of joy. It shouldn't. <laughs> I'm not... Attaching virtue to this feeling of mine <laughs> at all, but it does. 
It's like you're getting off. It's like you're moving out of Fallout 76 into Vietnam. <laughs> How are you going to handle this, Snowflake? I, I don't doubt, really. I mean, I know some militia people down around my hometown, or at least I know people who were affiliated with it. I don't have a lot of doubt that they may, they may not be the badass soldiers they think they are. I think they have the stomach for it. Uh, yeah. These other yep. folks, no. No. I mean, come on now. They they won't even, okay. I really don't want to get, it, it, just put it this way. Anyone who, in my in, in my book, anyone who has to hide their face to, to promote their their point of view or their ideology, you're a chicken shit in the first place. And obviously you must think deep down something ain't right about it, whether it be the Klan, whether it be fucking Antifa, whether it be fucking terrorists. Oh, well, you know, I don't want people to know who I am. Well, if you're so right, if you're on the right side of history, why aren't you screaming this from the mountaintop? Hey, man, even the Klan has taken off their hoods. Yeah, you you see the hood without the face thing on. Yeah, it, that that is you know that is true. It, it's no those white supremacists in Charlottesville. They were walking in fucking khakis and <laughs> those little <laughs> golf shirts, right, with their pitchforks, but they had their masks off. They they looked like they were going to go golfing on a Sunday morning. They weren't wearing bandanas over their face, wearing black. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and body armor. Right. Really. Once again, the, the, the people usually who, who think that they have some sort of fantasy that, you know, that when the revolution comes, they're going to be the tip of the spear in the forefront. And those idiots are going to be the first ones to go run and hide or they're going to be the first to be killed because they're, be they're either going to rush in it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just either that they're either going to die like you like you like you said, they're going to rush at it, not knowing what the hell's going on, thinking that they, they can throw rocks and bottles and they're suddenly eating lead. Or getting the shit kicked out of them by a, by a bunch of burly rednecks that actually know how to fight because they're not pacifists. Or they're going to be turning sexual favors in a camp somewhere. I'm with you, Todd. If you need a dog to ride an airplane, have fun in a foxhole. What? Yeah, like the people that can't go anywhere without their service animals. Oh, right, right, like right, right. <laughs> uh, there you go. You, you, you fly a lot more than me, man. <laughs> I didn't quite catch that right away. Like, I'm an animal lover, and, you know, if it comes down to it, and I'm stuck in a foxhole, and some dude brings a fucking pocket rat in there, I'm shooting him myself. Me too, And yeah. I'm letting the dog run free. Yeah, you're in like, the way. get out of here. You're in the way, dude. <laughs> you're a hindrance. You're, you're ballast. I'd probably be more pissed off he's, he's, he's endangering the dog's life. You know, like, speaking more to, like, the mindset of the person, not actually bringing the dog into the foxhole, but <laughs> I get what you're saying. <laughs> One other thing that I wanted to add to that. I mean, you've got all of this stuff that we're talking about here. And then you add to this the passions that are going to be inflamed by hearing people say to the idea of individual freedom, so we don't need that. Imagine what that does to people who have any sense of patriotism or actually believe in their country. I mean, that, that bothers me. I'm not, I'm, I'm not well-known historically as being a patriotic guy, but I am patriotic to a degree. I don't hate this country. I don't hate what it's built on. I think we've done okay. Imperfect, sure. Doesn't even need to be said, dipshit. I get that. But we've done better than pretty much anybody else in the last couple hundred years. I like being free. If you're going to sit there and you're going to tell me that I shouldn't be because why again? You've motivated me to really want to punch you in the face. Even if I agree with half to two-thirds of what you believe in, even with that, if you tell me that I am not allowed in your utopian worldview to go my own way, to think for myself, to believe what I want to believe, we're not friends. And if you're going to do that to me, what are you doing to these other people who really don't like you anyway? <sighs> Call me silly. I don't think that's going to go well for you. I agree with you. No, and like I said, the cost, the actual real world cost, I, I don't think a lot of these people, I don't think they can comprehend it. How many veterans do you see in the sort of the Antifa ranks? Not many. How many do you see in the militia ranks? People who have actually seen combat. 
understand what's coming, what it involves anyway. I'm not going to say it's coming, but understand. In my what, experience, yeah. I have limited experience with legit militia groups. I'm not talking people that like stockpile weapons or, or weapon collectors. I don't right. consider them militia people. I don't either. Uh, most of my friends who've seen actual combat uh, look at them like they're fucking idiots yeah. because they're like, one, you're the type of idiot that gets us all killed in a combat situation. Right. And two, you, you know, you think just like the Antifa people, there's a lot of people, I guess, who feel that, you know, the war will be over with quick and their side will just win. And it's like, <laughs> you know, there's a book called Generation Kill that uh, a reporter was embedded with a Marine recon unit. And that was the tip of the spear going into Iraq in 2003. He was with them for, I believe, two months. Two weeks into the invasion, the Iraqi resistance had learned to put blankets over themselves because they realized the Americans had thermal binoculars and, and, and shit to scan their heat signatures. They were, and It took them two weeks to figure that out. Then, boom, made a piece of American technology obsolete. If it is a real battle situation, people will adapt because they have to. That is what the military teaches people. Improvise, adapt, overcome. Well, that's what they're supposed to teach people. I don't know what the fuck they teach people now, but at least that's what they, in, in World War II in Vietnam, the vets I've talked to, that's what, how they were taught to think. People don't take that into consideration. They, they watch too many fucking movies. They think it's just going to be like, Braveheart with guns. <laughs> it's not. Braveheart wasn't even Braveheart. Fucking I Hollywood. I should amend that because you made a good point, and I, I feel like I have given the impression maybe with that statement that I think that most veterans are in, in militias. You see what I mean? That's not what I'm saying. I don't think most veterans are. vast majority of veterans aren't involved in either one of these extremist camps, I don't think. But I, what I was think I was saying is the ones who are, involved in one of the extremes or the other. Most of them are in the militia groups. Not saying most veterans are oh, yeah. in the militia group. What I'm saying is those who have decided to get involved one way or the other are going to be found out in the woods killing chipmunks. Not, yeah. you know, having a Mayday march in Portland. Rerouting traffic through, right. yeah, Portland. Why? Because they can, and the police are too fucking scared to go over and tell them to get the fuck out of the middle of the street. The police are on their side. The mayor was on their side. Mayor supports Antifa. Yep. Really? <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. Because I, when I saw that video for the first time, where it was literally just people who showed up from Antifa declaring themselves, you know, the law in Portland, and they were telling people, you can't go down this road because we said you can't. So turn your fucking car around or else we'll fucking turn it around for you. And I was like, run that motherfucker over. What's funny is you say that in any other city in Oregon, but Portland, you better hope you weren't Kevlar. Oregon is very red outside of Portland. Well, Oregon and Bend, I think there's a couple other cities south of Portland that are pretty uh, patchouli. Yeah, probably Salem and then yeah. Bend because that's where the college is. Right, yeah. I mean, and, But yeah, and the rest the, of it? <laughs> if this was you know, the, the National Socialist Party doing the same thing, I'd be like, run their asses over too. Get them the fuck out of there. Yeah. You know, after after a few people's skulls get crushed under some semi-trailers, uh, they'll move. It's like the Blues Brothers scene. I hate Illinois Nazis. Illinois Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. I grew up Bill Hicks. You know, I saw the Reginald Denny video. The solution to that, don't stop. Hit the gas, man. Step <laughs> on the fucking gas. <laughs> I'm not saying that lightheartedly. I don't mean to come off as if I'm trivializing the situation that he was in. but. I've seen too many of these videos uh, where there are emergency vehicles, fire trucks, ambulances trying to get through. And these idiots are like, no, this is our form of social protest. Really? How about this? If that person in the ambulance dies or, or that, that, fire, that fire department can't get to that fire, how about we charge you with uh, some form of murder? Like, let's say murder, too. Go ahead and do 25 years. You have 25 years to protest. See how that shit holds up in a fucking level three prison yeah. on the main line. Tell them why you're there. Please do. Find the nearest cop, have him shoot somebody. There, now we need to get through. <laughs> Somebody's hurt. Move. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I like protest in and of itself, I'm, I don't have a problem with. But when it's, we don't care what damage we cause, we're angry at 
the government, so we're going to bust out Starbucks window. Well, then Ooh, we proved something. No, you well, didn't. You're, well, you're no longer peacefully assembling, and that's not protected by the Constitution. Yeah, we have a word for that. You're not a protester. You're a... Vandal? A freedom fighter. Riotor. <laughs> rioter. It's a riot. Or, it's not a protest or, anymore. It's a riot. A Tigers fan in 1984 Detroit. Exactly. <laughs> you're not you're not in prison dumping your shitty mashed potatoes out on the floor in protest. No. You're beating the prison guards and setting them on fire a la natural born killers. There's a difference between a protest and a riot, you see. I should teach school. <laughs> okay, children, today we're going to talk about the difference between rioting and a protest, you little bastards. But just seems, that seems to be something that's been lost, is everyone thinks that they have the right. You do, but peacefully assemble. If you have, if you have the moral certainty and the moral, moral and righteous certitude in your mind, See, you're, doing it, you're doing it for God, metaphorically or literally, then the rules don't apply. You're on the side of righteousness. Therefore, if you smash up a Starbucks, it's the right thing to do. Yeah, that's when they start throwing bottles with M80s in them, and then people start, you know, then the people are throwing those bottles with M80s at and getting their fucking Dodge Charger and run down a whole crowd of people, and both sides are like, I had the right to do that. No, the fuck you didn't. When I hear when I heard about the the the, the war of, of Berkeley, first of all, the war of Berkeley, I about laughed my considerable amount of ass off. I was like, it's just two fucking groups of maybe a couple hundred Antifas and 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 white nationalists going at each other. Let them fight. In fact, put a ring of cops around them and treat it like a pit at a Slayer concert. If they try to escape, throw them back in. Fuck that. Put, them, a, let, put, a, put a camera up there. Let me watch. I want to see it. <laughs> Do this gladiator I'm style, just, man. <laughs> I, I'm just thinking of, of Mad Max Man Thunderdome. Dying time is here. You know, just, yeah, 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 yeah. Throw that chainsaw in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Give them that skite. Let them go at each other. I mean, I don't care about either. These, these are people who, they don't resort to violence. Violence is their first step, and they do it with the belief that there's something righteous behind it. And anybody who, and that's, that's what, that's what, uh, that's what irks me so much when I have conversations with people and they start throwing the term Nazi around willy nilly, just because someone doesn't agree with you doesn't make them a Nazi. We had this discussion on regimented just because you disagree with someone or someone posts an opinion counter to yours online does not make that person a troll. That's a person who disagrees with you. Trolls are there to stir the shit pot for the fucking sake of doing so. That's what true trolling is. Now it's been, you have misinformation, you know, disinformation that's, that's put out. It, that's, it's, a, it's almost like counterintelligence intelligence type shit. Yeah, it is. It's, it's propaganda, counterpropaganda stuff. What's the difference? Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. That's, that's not trolling. Trolling is a kid going, I'm going to post this to get a rise out of people. And when they start going off, he, he's laughing his ass off about it. Once again, oh, you disagree with me? You're a Nazi. You're a snowflake. Oh, you disagree with something I said online? Then this must be a Russian bot. It's a, it's a, it's way, a way to dismiss them. It's a, yeah, it's a way to basically frame whoever's disagreeing with you as a blasphemer because they're, they're speaking against the word of God. You know, the, the, the religion and ideology thing, especially with the moral certitude applied to it, is a direct parallel. That anybody who disagrees with me is, one way or another, evil and wrong. Shame. Shame. Yes, yes, yes. I'm going to get that drop, too, man. I'm going to find this. Shame. Ding, 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 ding. Shame. You whore. You cunt. Shame. I stuck my dick in, huh? Shame. <laughs> Here's the beautiful part. Chris don't even watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> well, there you go. See, so I, that's that's how much the cultural it's it's spread out from you know and cultural impact it's had. Someone who's never even seen it's quoting it. Zero second yeah. and proud. Oh boys, we <laughs> are accidentally stumbled on it. You should watch it, man. It's good. And now that it's done, you should you should binge watch it. It's worth it's worth seeing. Now I'm wearing it like a badge of honor, like I've never seen Goonies. People are like you never seen it? Nope. And now that you're totally outraged about it, now I'm not going to. Well, now that it's gone, now that nobody's talking about it, now it's safe. You, know, you, can still, you can still keep your hipster cred 
and still enjoy no, no. a decent program. It is a good you, show. You, actually, if you start watching it now, you're getting a jump on the vintage hipsters who will start watching it 20 years from now. Right. You know right, what I'm saying? Right, right. And you can say you're watching it ironically now. There you go. And seek out spoilers. Watch it because I have no interest in it. I'll How about feed, that? I'll feed that bug. You, <laughs> you, I think you'd like it. That's all I'm saying. It's worth seeing. But I will happily feed your rationalizing elephant whatever you like. I have lots of peanuts here. Peanuts. <laughs> peanuts. Here. <laughs> we're up on three right, hours, so boys. Try, yeah. Yeah, we're going to try to put a bow on this. Yeah, I think we should. Don't you? I got to figure out how to post this under 100 megabytes now. <laughs> I haven't had to worry about this. I got I was thinking break it up. Yeah, I might do that. That that last hour might be a nice uh Nice way to counter Chairman uh, Aaron Miles' influence this week. Maybe I'll post it on Saturday. Are you still uploading on Saturdays over there, Chris? Uh, usually. Yes. Sorry. Jesus. Had the mic off. All right. You didn't have a heart attack or yeah. a stroke, right? Okay, cool. I do want to give you guys a plug. Unregimented at uh, ChristopherMedia.net. Uh, for you folks who are just getting mine through me, that's the website over there. These guys uh, do the show every uh, record late in the weekend, usually posted up on Saturdays, right? Yeah, sometimes Sunday morning. Right. But, yeah, Jeff, Jeff, I always try for Saturday. Yeah, thanks for doing this, man. I uh, greatly appreciate it. You guys rock. Let's do this again. Thanks for having us on, man. I appreciate it's it. Fun. Yeah, let's do it again. Maybe, uh, I don't know, we'll talk about it later. But I, I feel like I just fucked you guys. Seriously. Two podcasts in a row, I felt that way. I don't have. Well, I'm just glad you were gentle. Yeah, yeah. I didn't bring a towel. You're gonna have to wipe yourself. You were a generous lover. (laughs) Escape the cave. That's the podcast. You can give me at ChristopherMedia.net. As I said, also on uh, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and uh, all that happy horse shit. What else do I usually say here? Oh, etc. Pod on the Twitter. And uh, the Facebook page is still up and functional, at least in the short term. Get in there now before I melt down and blow everybody out again. I don't know what else to say. I'm just trying to ride the music bed out now. One more verse. Here we go. (laughs) Till next time. So long.